Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner. Holy shit. It is a jam-packed show. Aaron Rodgers isn't vaccinated. Henry Ruggs released after a tragic car accident. Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield are on the next season of The Bachelorette. Michael Thomas is out for the year. It is a loaded show. We're also going to do our prospect primer, some game picks, etc. Mailbag trivia. Get into it. Let's go. Mike, we thought we thought that the stripper monkey was going to be a headline for more than twenty four hours. Here comes the show. Here comes the absolute show. Let's can we start? So what we're going to cover? Aaron Rodgers, Henry Ruggs, Odell Beckham Jr., Michael Thomas, all those guys. Start with Aaron Rodgers. Yes. From what I, can you describe the story in detail for those who haven't followed? And I just need you to hear my reaction. Okay, so. Uh, it'd be difficult not to a follow at this point because anywhere you look, that is all everyone wants to talk about. And for good reason. He is going to miss the next 10 days. He is gone. And why is that? Because he wasn't actually vaccinated. Even though before the season, he was asked by a reporter, are you vaccinated? His response to that question, yeah, I've been immunized. There's guys on the team that haven't been vaccinated. and It's a personal decision. Not going to judge those guys. By immunized, he meant he went to a doctor in Canada who performed a homeopathic treatment on him that the NFL then went on to say, doesn't fit our guidelines for a COVID vaccine. You are unvaccinated by our rules. And so he has been in the vaccinated protocols for the Green Bay Packers all season long, even though I guess he hasn't been wearing masks in interviews, which they oftentimes make guys wear masks in interviews who are vaccinated or put them on Zoom interviews. So that's been a whole thing. And so he has gone for 10 days now. At least. At, at least 10 days. Obviously, if it, symptoms last longer than that, he's long for however long that is. But he cannot be with the team even for 10 days. So that brings him makes him out of the Kansas City Chiefs game this weekend and doesn't get back till Saturday prior to next weekend's game against the CLC Hawks. That is absolutely absurd. Homeopathic ways. So homeo- uh, homeopathy is the use of natural substances in minute doses and the overall belief in that the, the human body can cure things. Is, is, and you're, saying, you're telling me before the show that Aaron Rodgers grew up on a llama farm, and this has been him the whole way. Because I'm also reading the same headlines about his fiancée, Shailen Woodley, who's eating clay and developing her own medicine. I thought he's—so you saw the report, too, that Aaron Rodgers hit up the NFL and said, hey— I got some fire going on here up in Canada. Yep. Shailen Woodley's cooking up some clay in the back seat. We're going to make some plays here, and and I'm going to be you know kind of vaccinated in my own way. And the NFL's like, no, put the Woodley shot down, and it's not going to fly for us. I I just can't believe this all happened to someone with millions of dollars and, and access to the internet. I, I don't get it. Yeah, everyone's bringing up Shailen Woodley, his fiance, and, star in Fault in Our Stars. Yes, so famous actress. Saying that, like, she, you know, is a fan of these holistic remedies and she makes her own medicine, all this. She does. Whatever you want to believe stuff. Uh, and saying, like, that she rubbed off on Aaron Rodgers. When in, re- in reality, this has kind of been Rodgers. If you followed his career, he's kind of been this guy. Like, that was Danica Patrick. She was into, she was a big, like, power crystals person. That was. So was my dad. Olivia Munn. <laughs> like, he, he, that's, he's got a type. And it's because that is who he also is to a degree, obviously. And that's come to a head here with his immunized. 
That's just incredible. Immunization. The immunized, the immunized component of that is credible, incredible. Uh, I've seen some really good tweets on that. Someone mentioned that um, it's a bad, it's, it's a like bad mine. year to be a Jeopardy host. That's phenomenal. Someone uh, responded to Kevin Cole. No, not Kevin Cole. Kevin Clark of the Ringer said. The Green Bay Packers have a week to tell Jordan Love about Daniel Sorensen, and I think Noah Princotti responded saying Aaron Rodgers is going to do his own research. It's, the, the, Twitter has been a field day, in my opinion. This has been phenomenal. I love the juxtaposition, too, between the TB12 method and the Aaron Rodgers method of crystals and clay, which is yeah. incredible. I mean, this is great. I, I have you much can't more to be, get to be an elite quarterback without believing in some out there shit, apparently, is, the, is what I'm get, gathering from all, all this. The line has moved significantly. We'll get into that with our game picks here. You have to hope, obviously, that Aaron Rodgers, the clay works, and he gets back in 10 days and can play after these next game. The sad thing here is, as a football fan, we did not get Mahomes-Rodgers round one, first time they played. Mahomes was injured. We're not going to get it again. We're not going to get to see two of the all-time quarterbacks Probably ever now at yeah. this point. That's probably it. Unless, obviously, Aaron Rodgers goes to the Broncos this coming offseason. Shalen Woodley costs us. No, I'm just kidding. But that's, uh, that, this is an incredible day on Twitter. And the next thing, not as incredible, obviously, but uh, something to touch on. We mentioned it on the Wednesday episode. But Henry Ruggs officially released from the Las Vegas Raiders after, um, I think, being charged with DUI resulting in death. More details came that he had more than double the legal limit in uh, BAC or blood alcohol content, and then also was going 156 miles an hour. A 23-year-old woman and her dog both died in that car accident. What a tragic, tragic situation or circumstance, result, whatever you're going to say, for Henry Ruggs and the fa- obviously her and her family. Yeah, so I think you said on the last episode, the Raiders must have found out something that we didn't know. I don't think you need to find out more details than those two things to know that he should never play down in the NFL again. 100%. And... Put it on a quote graphic. Fuck Henry Ruggs. There's no, there's no excuse for anything that he did there. Going the BAC one, driving over 150 miles an hour too. I think the prosecutor said he's never seen a car accident with someone going over 150 miles an hour, which is utterly absurd. Uh, that is not only putting yourself at risk, which obviously he was injured. That is a absolutely unforgivable. I have, I have a little bit of a take here, and I don't know if how well this is going to be received, but. There is an overwhelming amount of just very appropriate comments when this first happened. Get an Uber. There's no excuse. Get an Uber. And that is 100% valid. However, there needs to be more support efforts and education efforts on what can happen if you black out. If you go over 016 you black out. And when you black out, you make decisions that you, you can't even call an Uber. Like you, you will make decisions you are, that are unfathomable decisions that you've seen here. More people, not just players, not just anyone, more people need to understand that it doesn't matter if the drunkest you've ever been, you'd still call an Uber. There are times where if you black out, you will make decisions, unfathomable ones. I think more people need to realize that that's the situation we're in here. I don't, Henry Ruggs was not... 0.09 or 0.10 and made the decision to drive. This was a complete blacked out state. No, looking at the BAC, where he's not even making decisions based off anything. And I think that more players, more people need to understand. Like, bro, if you get to that level, you can do anything. And that's the concern about blacking out, especially in public spaces with your car and those things. I was very lucky uh, growing up. To my mother was a prosecuting attorney, and so she would have wouldn't have been. I would have killed someone if I drove drunk she would have killed me if i would have ever driven drunk so i have had the fear of god in me to where even if i do 
blackout and have. On occasion, I would never even put my keys in a car, and that's kind of where it has to start. All I was trying to get across was that the Uber push and the, yeah. there's no reason to do this push isn't enough. There needs to be more education on if you black out, there are things you'll do you would never do. And that is obviously the situation that I think Henry Rooks yes. was in. And that is a big concern that more people need to be made aware of. Moving off of this, obviously, this huge tragedy. Odell Beckham Jr. excused from practice, even though he planned to go. Odell Beckham Jr. excused from practice, but he was planning to go. He was still meeting with, I think, Andrew Barry or whoever it was. He's completely cut off talks with the head coach, Kevin Stefanski. Baker Mayfield's asking if he's looking for an apology. I, uh, this, you have been nail on the head with this whole thing forever. And I've always doubted it a little bit here and there. There's no way Baker Mayfield plays worth what Odell on the field. It's turned into this yep. dramatic outlash, and now OBJ, past the trade deadline, might not suit up for the Browns ever again. Is he cut? Is he benched for the rest of the season? What do you think the fallout is, and I guess your reaction to the absurdity that is this drama between Odell and Baker? Yeah, he's gone. He's getting cut. I, I, I think there's no doubt in my mind at this point. The tweet from Michael Silver read this. He said, Browns coach Kevin Stefanski told his players that Odell Beckham Jr. is essentially not on the team right now. And the wide receiver has been told to stay home. That is that 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 is beyond reconciliation, in my opinion. That a, a player like Odell Beckham telling him to stay home a week from now or whatever, three days from now, whatever it is, he's not just going to be like, you know what, we're cool. Like, there's no mending that bridge. That bridge is burned. He's gone. And for all and like I said, for all intents and purposes, it is just now. What do they end up doing with him? Trade deadline's obviously passed. You can still make trades after the trade deadline, but guys have to clear waivers. I'm not sure they could get anything back for him, though, as the problem is $8 million against the cap. He's going to count for whichever team he goes to. And as we outlined on yesterday's episode, this is not his first time. Like, you know, this is not, this has been a string of recurring events for Odell Beckham Jr. And as well as, or as much as there have been missed opportunities from his quarterback, he is also partially at fault for some of these things. And he is about to turn 29 years old. He is not in the sort of prime of his career after multiple injuries, he may not be the exact same guy. So I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who's going to take on $8 million for one half of a season of a guy who may not assimilate into your locker room right now. So I think he ends up getting cut, ends up having to go somewhere on not a very expensive deal, could then at least pick it where he wants to go, pick somewhere where he you know, thinks he'll be happy. So we'll see from there. But that, I think, is the ultimate conclusion to this. And like I said... The writing had been on the wall ever since last year when it just did not work between those two. That is just absurd to me. I don't understand how OBJ and Baker Mayfield couldn't work. I don't understand how adult men get into these feuds. I, I, I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand how that happened. I also say that is, is there not a situation where the Cleveland Browns could have got the most they could and agreed with the team that they were trading to, similar to the Von Miller situation, to trade and pay most of his salary just to get him off the team before the trade deadline. Because now if you just outright cut him, yeah. getting nothing in return for OBJ, I'm sure you know, Von Miller got a second and a third round pick. Would you not argue that OBJ could return something similar, if not something more, especially if the Browns agreed to pay most of that guaranteed money? I think the problem, the problem was the timing. And, and again, it's like I don't think it's a secret that Odell wasn't happy throughout the league. You know, like I, That was the thing. It's like this should have happened if you were going to move him for a good haul. Last offseason, and I was the one clamoring for it. I'm like, get like, I was very surprised when they rolled into the season with him after that ACL injury and all of the season and a half prior that just wasn't working out. So, 
yeah, the timing of it, they kind of just are between a rock and a hard place. And I don't, uh, I, like I said, I don't think they could have gotten really anything in return for it and, and weren't really, they're not in that position to be eating uh, cap themselves. Man, do you have a favorite landing spot for Odell Beckham Jr. where you think he could thrive? Obviously, Odell only knows that question, so I don't know where he'd go. Uh, does he believe in homeopathic remedies? There's a chance. I mean, there's a chance. From some of the stories we've heard about OBJ, he does believe in a lot of homegrown stuff. And I don't know whether or not that's you know over-the-top ointments and things like that or something similar. I think that's maybe where Odell Beckham Jr. trends. I guess if we do see OBJ, Aaron Rodgers, Miles Teller, Woodley getting together, there's probably some positives in the right direction for that, that swap marriage. essential oils. <laughs> I like that. All right. Uh, last one here for the Catch and Early Buzz. This has been phenomenal. Michael Thomas, New Orleans Saints wide receiver, who originally, I mean, there was that saga in the beginning where, you know, he had an ankle injury. They were trying to contact him over the offseason to get surgery earlier so he wouldn't miss parts of the season. He says, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Shows up. Nope, I can't. I'm not fine. And then he was on the injured reserve. Now was expected to come back at some point this season. A new ankle injury arises. So now he's going to miss the entire season. Drama on drama, man. I don't understand. This is another bad that's – that's just a bad situation for New Orleans. Yeah. He said, unfortunately, the rehab didn't go as planned earlier this offseason with the parent. I had to have a procedure to repair the injury. Since then, the team and I have worked diligently day and night to rehab and get me back in the field. Unfortunately, there has been another small setback, which we will have to address. To my displeasure, I will not be able to make it back in time for this season, but will do everything in my power to get back to the player I have always been. So, yikes. Another, like – wide receiver versus team sort of saga. And I said it at the beginning of the year when they, he was put on the pup. I was like, this is probably the most impactful. And like, this is a very, this is going to neuter their passing game because yeah. for the past two years, he was like their passing, like their sort of downfield passing game outside of their screen shit, outside of all that stuff they do underneath in the quick passing game. He was, if they had a third down and had to convert, it's going to Michael Thomas. And he knew that, and it was money every time. Now, without that guy, they have been about as boring a passing game as exists in the NFL without, like, you know, with like a legit offensive coordinator calling the plays. It has just been not much in the way of actual explosive plays there, and I don't foresee that changing, obviously, with Jameis Winston out and now Taysom Hill. Not, I don't believe this week, or is he going to play this week uh, going forward? So we shall see. Uh, I just I, I think that's kind of the nail in the coffin of the Saints really competing or, you know, having this lightning in a bottle chance of making any sort of noise in the NFC. Man, that is tough for the New Orleans Saints. And what was your take? I guess we can get to this in the game pick situation. Let's wait. Let's wait. Let's hold off. I want more. One more catch and early buzz. College football power rankings. College football playoff power rankings came out on Tuesday night. And everyone is upset, as they could have done anything. They could have put it exactly as everyone wanted. Still, someone would have been upset. But still, number one, Georgia. Number two, Bama. That was the first stunner. Number three, Michigan State. Number four, Oregon. Another stunner. Five, Ohio State. Six, Cincinnati. Seven, Michigan. Over an undefeated number eight, Oklahoma. Then you have an undefeated Wake Forest at 9, and then Notre Dame at 10. I don't think the college football playoff committee cares a ton about 11 through 25. San Diego State did slip in at 24 despite the loss to Fresno State. But still, that is your top 10. Your thought, who is the most overrated team on that list, and who's the most underrated team on that list? Okay, I got a lot of takes here. And I'm so excited for these I am, I am the one usually banging the drum when you get the first few college football playoff rankings come out being like, it doesn't matter. 
Like mm-hmm. they, they don't matter because the college football playoff seemingly on a whim will flip teams, will change rankings week in and week out. Yeah. It's I, it, there's no obviously there's no transparency in the process. But it to is, add to that, they too. come out of a fucking room and they tell you what they think, and they have no. And then they say dumb shit like we respect Cincinnati and have great pride in their work or something, whatever they said. That was just awful. But they got me. They got me fucking on tilt last night because Cincinnati at six right now or just kind of the way the top six shakes out makes absolutely no sense. It makes absolutely no sense to me. If you are, if you are sort of giving deference to strength of wins, like who you've beaten, why is Alabama at two? Alabama, the best team they've beaten is Ole Miss, a two-loss Ole Miss team. They, they really haven't beaten like a good team. If you're giving deference to kind of how strong they are as a roster, why is Michigan State at three? Like Michigan State, roster-wise, NFL talent-wise, easily the worst of those top six. I don't even think it's close. And they've only beat one really and talented, only beat one team. talented team. So if it's like there's no consistent rhyme or reason through these, and. I do think it should be a reward. Like I, I do think it should lean more towards body of work, how you've actually performed on football fields, not this mythical how much talent do you have on your roster that obviously Alabama has a lot of talent. But then you, if, they, if it was just that, the games wouldn't matter. I think the game should still wait heavily, heavily in. And Cincinnati has gone through their schedule as dominantly as anyone in college football. They have one one-score game, and it was Navy getting in the back door late in that game. That really wasn't close in the fourth quarter. Navy obviously scores down the stretch. Like Cincinnati's been as dominant as anyone in the country in terms of outside of Georgia, week in, week out. Ten point, a double-digit win against a top-ten team in this ranking in Notre Dame. To have them at six right now is just patently absurd and basically just saying, hey, group of five, Go fuck yourself. Yeah. I mean, I tweeted out shortly after group of five. It just means less. Obviously, it just means less. Number six, Cincinnati undefeated is an absurd situation. I'll also say this. Like, you mentioned that they'll just flip teams willy-nilly. Last year, Cincinnati opened the college football playoff rankings at seven and won out and finished at eight. They went down. They went down behind a three-loss Florida team. Yeah. A three-loss Florida team jumped Cincinnati late in the college football playoff, despite Cincinnati winning out. The games don't matter for the group of five. All that matters is stars and the SEC. Well, but, then, but then it doesn't because they also remember they had Iowa State ahead of them. When Iowa State is not a star-studded team, Iowa State was not like a talent, you know, talent team. It was just the, the – I really, truly hate this process. My, my, here's the take I have. I hate it. What is so overvalued in the college football playoff process – is the average strength of the Power Five conferences. The Power Five conferences have top-heavy monsters. Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, whatever. Mm -hmm. But just because Alabama plays in the SEC doesn't mean they play a ton of talented football teams. Vandy stinks. Missouri stinks. South Carolina. like, Do they have more stars than a lot of the group of five teams? Sure, but they are not good football teams. And Cincinnati would be favored against a lot of those teams. Yeah, I mean, so they're given – they put Mississippi State 17. Mississippi State lost to Memphis. You know, you know, like Miss, Alabama's getting credit for beating Mississippi State when that's a team that lost to a group of five team. Um, I, I don't see how you can justify them at five and three, 17th overall. It's like, oh, they played good teams. So it's like, yeah, well, they also lost to a team that's not good. And once that happens, I don't, you really don't have credibility. That, or like, you don't have a claim to being the 17th team in the country at five and three. I'm sorry, you don't. 
Oregon, too, losing to Stanford. They're plus 5,000 to win the national championship, but are number four in the country, which is, it doesn't make sense to me. It does not make a ton of sense to me, but. I guess uh, it's the biggest thing, is there's no rhyme or reason. If there was a consistency to how these rankings were put out, we could have, I wouldn't be on tail right now. And I get it. It's going to shake out. Teams are going to lose. If Cincinnati keeps winning, I like their chances of sneaking into it. But if they go undefeated, and don't make it. And, and Ohio State and Ohio goes State, undefeated. And Ohio, State, and, and Ohio State loses and Oregon loses and someone like uh, – and someone jumps them. Like say, I don't know, say Oklahoma, one loss Oklahoma or a two loss, if a two loss Ohio State still is ahead of Cincinnati, I will be – then I will be really on tilt because that will just be an absolute absurdity. So we shall see. Cincinnati, we'll have a lot more to get mad about. Cincinnati could win out and Oklahoma could win out. And Oklahoma right now is two spots behind Cincy. And I think they'd give it to Oklahoma. Oh, for sure. 100%. And that's a disaster, in my opinion. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, don't, I honestly don't get it. I do not understand the Cows football playoff. Um, I thought I had one more point there, but I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abstain. I'm going to abstain from the disaster that is the Cows football playoff rankings. And just enjoy the games. Uh, let's get to our NFL game picks. Before we do, we're going to shout out the PFF tailgate promo code use promo code tailgate on pff.com for 25 percent off any pff subscription if you want access to all the premium article content betting picks player props fantasy football all that stuff pretty much if you like football and your interest in football continues to increase as the seasons progress you need a pff subscription because we're going to the moon over here tailgate is too. use promo code tailgate 25 percent off game picks starting with thursday night football the new york might white football jets are ten and a half point dogs to Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts on the road. I absolutely refuse to not bet on future Hall of Fame jersey Mike White. Did you see that his jersey is going to the Hall of Fame? Why? He, I, I, I didn't read. I, all, I got lost in the fact that it's going there. <laughs> but I think it's because he had over 400 passing yards in his first NFL Oh, start. yeah, the most ever first first start. Yep, okay, that was it. If anything, that should, and he had a 4.9 average depth of target. <laughs> the Bengals, you know who should, what, whose jersey should go in the Hall of Fame is probably the Bengals, like all their defenders. Logan Wilson. Logan Wilson. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll blow through these quickly because we've spent a lot of time on the previous. Yeah, but, I mean, there was, a lot of bu- there was a lot of buzz. But I will say, call me crazy. The way White played, from, from, from judging on I had that one game sample size of how he plays the quarterback position, I kind of like the way it matches up against the Colts' defense. I, I think it's, we've talked about it a bunch, the Colts are kind of a spot dropping, either cover two, cover three sort of defense primarily. And I, I think that plays to what White likes to do, and that was obviously attack underneath, and mm-hmm. the Colts will give you stuff underneath. So I, I, obviously the Colts have, will have seen that. We'll, not, we'll have a game plan for him, but uh, let me, I'll, take, I'll take the Jets. Let's go. Ah. Let's go. Ooh. Let's go. You get the 10.5. You get the hook there over 10. Yeah. I also like a little sprinkle just to dash on the money line at plus 400. Give it to me. I want Mike White on Thursday night. I want Mike White on Thursday night. Put that on a quote graphic social. Vikings, Ravens, first game of the 1 o'clock slate here. Ravens favored by 6 at home. This line kind of scares me because there's a lot of me that wants to bet a better Baltimore Ravens team. The Baltimore Ravens, in my opinion, are one of the best teams in the AFC. But at six, I know it's on the road. How good the Minnesota Vikings have played. I know they just lost to Cooper Rush. There's not a lot of me that loves Ravens minus six. This is one of those games where I almost feel like more, more confident in not betting it than betting it. I, I, before I pick, who do you, who do you have? Oh, man, I, hate, I really do hate this one. 
Um, but I, I think it would go to lean Minnesota in this one. Yeah. And I think it's because the way that Baltimore schemes their defense. Like, man blitzes. Kirk Cousins, if he's good at anything, it's against blitz. Like, he, he can diagnose and get the ball out against blitzes. And those wide receivers, Justin Jefferson and Thielen, can beat man coverage. So... I just think matchup wise, I like that for them. Now I'm not saying that the I like how the Vikings defense matches up against Baltimore, but six is big for teams that could be evenly matched in this one. And again, Vikings are just they're Jekyll and Hyde. I hate that I'm picking them, but yeah, I'm picking them. This is the biggest underdog spread the Vikings have seen this season. They were four and a half point dogs against or no, they were three and a half point dogs against the Arizona Cardinals. They covered that. They were two-point dogs against Seattle. They covered that. I do feel that the six is too big. I'm leaning Minnesota as well. Kirk Cousins has graded really well. What I see is this, is that if they think the Vikings beat Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys, this number is like four, yeah. maybe even like three and a half. I think you're wrong, but because, because the Cooper Rush, this is the Cooper Rush effect. effect. You think he can't affect the league? He did. And I think I'm going to ride with the Vikings as well. Kirk Cousins, one of the highest-grade quarterbacks in the NFL. I know people... Don't like Kirk Cousins. There's definitely a lot of people who hate Kirk Cousins, including Eric Eager here. <laughs> but uh, I'm a huge fan of the six line. I'm taking the Minnesota Vikings. Patriots at Panthers. Patriots on the road favored over the Panthers minus four. Now, P.J. Walker, former XFL legend or AAF legend? That's a good. I think it was XFL. XFL Wait, legend. I have is no clue now. I did not watch this. We have to watch Eric Eager is the expert on those, too. Well, so is, um, yeah. But anyway, uh, former XFL legend PJ Walker is preparing this week as if he's going to start. I think Sam Darnold is potentially out in concussion protocol. Also, I think Chris McCaffrey is practicing, though. Mm -hmm. So Sam Darnold questionable with an injury or or concussion. concussion. Chris McCaffrey on the injury reserve designated to return. Panthers plus four with PJ Walker. I lean Patriots initially, but I don't know. I'm Patriots. Yeah, I'm going Patriots. I think they've turned kind of a corner on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's a tough defense. And when their offensive line is healthy, they can at least block up this Carolina front that sends a lot at you. So, And it's a, it's a Carolina front that's kind of undersized. And we talk a lot about how Patriots are zigging with that offensive line. That's a very hulking, very take-you-off-the-line-scrimmage sort of offensive line that I think they're going to run the ball really well in this game. So This number actually, too, I think opened at four. It's actually down to three and a half right Ooh. now. If you bet it right now, I'm not sure where this number will end up as we see more P.J. Walker money. But I think at three and a half, I really like the New England Patriots. Um, I'd also add that 73% of the cash bet on this game is on the New England Patriots side. That's mm-hmm. where the money is now. Now, is that sharp money? I would doubt it. I don't know. We'll see. Moving to the next game on our list here. The one o'clock slate continues. Um Browns at Bengals. Oh, my gosh. You know what to do. <laughs> Quinn, Browns. We're all going Browns. Quinn, you weren't on the mic. Can you talk about my, my pick last week and how it – were you thinking about me on Sunday when they were potentially going to lose in the NLT? I watch? mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, at the very end of the game, yeah. Like, it did <laughs> pop in my mind, yeah, a little bit. But you know what? If you're going to, like, if you're going to pick the Bengals – if you're going to make a decision, stand by your decision. Don't just tell Waffle. other people what they want to hear yeah. like Aaron exactly. Rodgers. Yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm picking Browns. I like the Browns in this one. Browns are – to say Bengals are favored by two and a half. Yes, they're at home. But I don't think this OB, – OBJ's not playing. I mean, OBJ's not going to play this week. I like the Browns. I was going to say, you know why I like the Browns <laughs> in this one. If Odell really is not playing, I like the Browns offense getting back on track against the Bengals defense. And – I just don't love the Bengals' offensive line blocking up 
the Browns front. Like Miles Garrett is I don't care who you are. Miles Garrett's Miles Garrett. And I think this Browns defense getting back to full strength in that secondary is big. Like they did not lose against the Steelers because of their defense. They lost because Odell Beckham and, and Baker Mayfield were playing. So this game opened up at minus three for the Cincinnati Bengals at home. It's now at minus two and a half. And honestly, the market is split on this one. 50% of the cash is on Cleveland and 50% is on Cincinnati. We got to tailgate this one. We got to be there. We got to be there? We got to be there. We'll be there. I'll we'll be, be there. All right. Me, Quinn, and I'll be rooting for the Browns all night long. Let's go. I guess it's during the day. But still, I'm rooting for the Browns. I like it. OBJ's out with Shaylin Woodley. We're going to be on here with the Cleveland Browns. All right, Broncos, Cowboys, next on our list here. Broncos actually 10-point dogs against the Dallas Cowboys on the road here. Big dogs. Dallas Cowboys favored by 10. Green line PFF's betting dashboard, which you can get with an elite subscription, 25% off, promo code TAILGATE. Favors Teddy B and the Denver Broncos in this one. They like that 10-point line. Where are you siding in this one? I'm going Cowboys at home. And that's assuming Dak Prescott plays. Obviously, I think that's – we kind of assumed it last week and then it didn't end up happening. But assuming Dak Prescott play, plays, this front seven without Chubb, without Von Miller, without their linebackers is a butter. And the offensive line for the Cowboys is a hot knife. Hot. It is going to be a, a pancaking up front. Mm-hmm. A lot of food references. I like it. I like it. I'm going with the hot knife as well, despite green line siding with Teddy B. I think this locker room is also going to be an interesting position. Von Miller out. You saw Melvin Gordon voice his frustration on Twitter over that trade. I don't think anyone's too thrilled with the Denver Broncos being sellers here. Parts, I think yeah. you could lean into that seller's mantra. Ten points is a lot. Dak Prescott coming back, ideally healthy. I think if you did think, if you had an inside scoop that Dak might not play. Yeah, an inside scoop, Dak might not play. If you've got a guy who like works in... yeah. You know, Cooper Rush's brother. Yeah. Then I would bet the insight. 10 now before it gets down to like 7, 6, or 5. But, um, or the plus the plus 10, I mean. But right now, if you're confident Dak Prescott's playing, let's go. Cowboys, are, I think, are also the only team in the NFL that are undefeated against the spread this season. They got to cover 10 to keep that up. Bills at Jaguars. If you bet Urban Meyer this week, Mike, I'm going to be furious. Like, They're absolutely only, the furious. The Jags are only 2 and 5 this year against the spread. That's. that's you like Urban Meyer in the back door? <laughs> no. Plus 14 this, and a half? This is the week. The last back door do Urban not. Meyer has covered was <laughs> in the Columbus right Bar. At Urban yeah. Meyer Pine House. Just saying. <laughs> Go ahead. Who do you have here? Uh, yeah, I think his wife told him no more backdoor covers. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to lead Bills in this one. They just, the, the Jags don't have the dudes. They, they, on offense right now, they don't have the dudes. To move the ball on the Bills. You just don't. The Bills are a very complete defense. Uh, the way that defensive line has played this year, the way Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde have played, they just have a lot of – there are not a lot of holes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like the Bills. And, again, Jaguars, number one option, past two weeks, Jamal Agnew. That's disaster. And you said the Bills are 2-5 and five against the spread. They're 5-2 and two against the spread. No, I said the Jags. No, the Bills are 5-2 and two against the spread. Seven and a half point favorites over Washington cleared. Eighteen point favorites over Houston cleared. Fourteen and a half point favorites over Miami cleared. Now they're fourteen and a half point favorites over the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think this is another bludgeoning. Clearer, a clearer. I think it's a clearer. I like I like Buffalo a lot. I think well, here's the take. Do you think Buffalo is the best team in the AFC? Fuck, AFC is like wide open right now. It's um, wide open, but I think Buffalo is the only team that's seeing fifteen point spreads and covering every week. They're probably the most complete team in the AFC. That's such a 
That's such a <laughs> that's such a sit on a fence take. That's like the fun to watch of takes. Most complete team. Are they good? Or are they the best? I want to know. Complete. They're complete. Who's the best team in the AFC? Okay. Gun to your head. Who's the best team in the AFC? Oh, shit. I'm saying the Bills. I, I think the Bills are the best team in the AFC. I want to say the Browns because I, th- I think when he- like when actually you think the Baker's Browns are the best healthy. team in the AFC? If Baker when Baker's healthy and if Odell's not there, they're the best team in the AFC. But yeah, probably the Bills outside of them. The Browns are but two and a half point dogs for the Bengals. Yeah, I'd say okay. Yeah, and the Bengals might be the best team in the AFC. No, so, probably the Bills. I would All right, say probably. The Bills. I think the Bills are the best team, not just the most complete team. They're the best team in the AFC, and I also think they cover against the Urban Meyer backdoor Jacksonville Jaguars. Texans at Dolphins. This was supposed to be like a big game. <laughs> if Deshaun Watson was ultimately traded, he was not. Um, that saga, according to Adam Schefter, to be continued, dot, dot, dot. We will see where that one ends up. Right now, though, Dolphins are only six-and-a-half-point favorites over the Texans. I don't really love the Texans as a single touchdown dog. They are a bad football team. And I know Terod Taylor is expected to play in this one, and the Dolphins have been horrendous this year. I think the most disappointing team of any team in the NFL this year have been the Dolphins at 1-7. But until I see the hook here, the 75 I think I am signing with Miami. I'm not, I'm not ready to bet Houston six and a half. Yeah, I like Miami too. I don't think they can exploit what has been the most exploitable aspect of the Miami Dolphins, which is that offensive line. And the Miami defense looked good last week. Like, obviously, a divisional game. I'll throw out the records when it's a divisional game, whatever. But I, I do think that this defense is still very talented. Brian Flores still knows what the hell he's doing on that side of the ball, at least, to where six and a half, Houston's hapless. This they, is the been have they i don't think they've they just have been hapless ever since week one yeah i mean this is the first time too that the houston texans since week one are under a touchdown dog they've been a dog in every game they've played this season but it's first time in a while the last few spreads 16 and a half 19 and a half 11 and a half 8 and 18 8 and a half this one in my opinion six and a half i still don't like it i think i like miami if which i rarely said i've rarely said i like miami this year because i think they've been butt but I, I like them this week if texans lose this one you can cash those four wins basically with four win tickets oh that's right those are there's no way they get four more wins this year no that's the final take. uh eight games before we get to falcons saints you know where you could bet a lot on these things we tell you what to pick you know if you want to side with Urban Meyer and the Jaguars, I'll tell you where to do it. NFL fans, hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team, including the Jaguars, to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. What game did I say we got next? Falcons-Saints in New Orleans with Taysom Hill or Trevor Simeon. I don't know who's starting for the New Orleans Saints. I think Trevor Tre- Taysom Hill is expected to be out of concussion protocol this week. Yeah. Would it not be absolutely absurd if they don't start Taysom Hill? The amount of positive news that has come out of Sean Payton's camp and the New Orleans Saints 
organization about Taysom Hill to be an actual heir apparent to Drew Brees. That didn't happen. Jameis Winston, you know, overtakes that. Now it's Trevor Simeon versus Taysom Hill. If you're not going to start a healthy Taysom Hill in this situation, I think all that has been smoking. Then some. Yeah, I think he's going to start. So Taysom Hill versus the Atlanta Falcons. Taysom Hill in this situation favored by six. <sighs> Oof. They're, they're wanting me to pick the Falcons. I don't love picking the Falcons, as you know. But my God, Taysom Hill, six in his first game. The defense is sick, though. Defense is very good. I don't get twisted on that. I, I, I agree. But I, it's not like the Falcons are wholly incapable of moving the football. Now, they look like that against the Panthers, but ask, just give me the Falcons. I don't no. Know. Just give me the Falcons. I'm not it's doing it. 74% of the cash bet on this game so far this week. On Atlanta, but I'm yeah. going against that. I like Taysom Hill and the six because I like this defense. Number three ranked defense according to PFF's ELO ratings. I think they're playing phenomenal. They're, they're a good defense. Matt, Davis Matt Ryan. Playing, I was mine. Great. At the oldest linebacker in the NFL, still playing at a really high level. There's some people clamoring for Dennis Allen, former Oakland Raiders coach legend, to get another head coaching offer. Where's your thoughts there? Shit. I don't know. I, I still think offensive side of the ball, but I and, it's, and he didn't do quite great in Oakland, shall we say? But. No. Uh, to be fair, it's kind of been a curse there. Yeah, uh, not, not, a, lot not of, a lot of guys have done well in Oakland. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of not a lot of graceful exits. <laughs> and Las Vegas hasn't treated them any better. <laughs> Las Vegas has not been uh, great yeah. either. All right, on to Raiders Giants. Raiders coming off a bye. Now they're also coming off a lot of garbage. I mean, they're coming off some some things they're going to have to overcome here. Obviously, the Henry Ruggs situation still with Rick Rich Bisaccia there, the interim head coach. Uh, there's there's a lot to overcome yeah. in Las Vegas right now. They are, in fact, four-point favorites. No, now three-point favorites over the Giants. I believe this line did open at four, though. There's a lot of value, according to PFF Green Line, on the Las Vegas Raiders. 88% of the cash bet on this game has been on the Raiders. Now that it is just a three-point line, I'm leaning into Raiders more and more and there is a lot of me that thinks that there will be some ramifications and you know how this football team is even like 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 from a mindset yeah. you know perspective even positioned after all the you know trauma that they've gone through and trauma that, that that's surrounding this team right now I still feel that they are more than three points better than the New York Giants and even though this isn't East Rutherford they are making the cross-country trip I do think that the Las Vegas Raiders cover the three I do as well and the reason being uh Nate Solder and Matt Peart you, they just made Frank Clark look like the old Frank Clark. Frank Clark, five pressures this past weekend. The best game he's had since 2018, I believe. Um, yeah, that's, that's why. And you got, you're going, got to block Max Crosby and Yannick Yakwe. Yeah. That's going to be a disaster. I think you have to hope, too, that the Raiders coming off a bye are a bit healthier. Josh Jacobs, questionable, and Darren Waller, questionable. You want to see those guys play in this game. But you also, with the New York Giants, Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony are questionable entering this one. Sterling Shepard, doubtful with a quad injury. Their receiving core couldn't take as many hits as they did, and they are. And then you factor in, too, that Daniel Jones, while he hasn't played awful, isn't playing near the level that Derek Carr is. I think three points is enough to back the Raiders this week. Chargers-Eagles. We're on to the 4 o'clock slate. The 1 o'clock slate on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Chargers on the road against Philly. This is a surprising line. Only one-and-a-half point favorites over the Eagles. When you compare that to Vegas versus the Giants, three-point favorites, Chargers going against Philly, only one-and-a-half-point favorites. Why do you think the market here kind of fading Herbert a little bit, fading the Chargers, not, maybe not Herbert specifically, but the Chargers a little bit? I mean, they are only four and three. They, they did not look great offensively, but that was obviously going up against Bill Belichick this past week. I say Bill Belichick, Patriots defense. 
Eagles defense is not the Patriots defense, though, especially on the back end. I I like the Chargers in this one, one and a half. I think they're the vastly better team. I think defensively they have the personnel to chase down Jalen Hurts, like the, the scrambles and stuff he can do outside of the pocket. I don't think I'm too worried about that in this game. And that's kind of been like their offense a lot of the time. So, yeah, the run defense is pretty rough at times. Chargers, I would expect Philly to attack them on the ground, but I still believe in Herbert far more than I do at Hurts at this point. Man, I do think that the Chargers, we were talking to Seth Galina a little bit. I don't know if this was on the show or off air. We had a, we had a lot of conversations with Seth while he's here in Cincy talking about Joe Lombardi and what he's doing to this Chargers offense. I talked to Eric Eager. He said he has the least unique offense. Mm, can't modify unique. He has, I don't know what he has. Time. It's not diverse. It's not versatile. He has like the least versatile offense of any offense in the NFL, according most to his playing. metrics. And then Seth Galina, most quick game concepts run so far this year of any offense. He said, quote, in a tweet, ruining Justin Herbert. Huh. Your, your thoughts on uh, Joe Lombardi this year? I, mean, I don't think he's ruining Justin Herbert, but... They do have more personnel to attack down the field than they do. They, they do run a lot of quicker concepts, which I, they got big dudes. They got intermediate possession type of receivers, and they don't have yak kind of dudes, and I feel like they treat them as yak dudes a little too often. I'm backing the Chargers, though. I mean, one-and-a-half-point favorites, I, I, I'm just going to – this is my hold. I know it's not a big line, but I think I'm going to hold my nose and take this one. <laughs> That's not a hold your nose and take it. Come on. Would you, you bet? Would you, I would bet Chargers too. Maybe even minus one thirty on the money line. I don't know. Like I like them at minus one and a half. Yeah, I, bet, yeah, I like Chargers at minus one and a half. That's all, all right. That's what I said. Fine. Good. Good for you. Next one's the hold your nose and take it. Packers Chiefs. You're going to hold your nose and take this one. Yeah. I think this this is classic overcorrection stuff though. No. The line ju- the line got moved. There's no such thing as overcorrecting for Jordan Love. All right. Chiefs were originally favored by one, and the total was fifty five and a half. Kansas City is now favored by 7.5, and, a half, and the, the total has dropped to 48.5. I think 48.5, I think Green Bay still moves the football. I, I guess this, is a ter- this, Giants, this Chiefs defense sucks. Yeah. I don't care if it's Jordan Love, Blake Bortles, or Shailene Woodley. Like It's back there. I, I, I do think that this is going to be a fine offense. It's going to be fine. Devontae Adams is also expected to be back, I think. If Devontae Adams doesn't play, I'm, I am holding my nose 100%. But if Adams is playing, I like them even on the road against Kansas City to cover plus 7.5. So Jordan Love, this preseason, 55.5 overall grade in the preseason. Uh, on 39 dropbacks. Did not look good. Um, and the other kind of untold thing here that I would start hammering the Chiefs now, the starting quarterback is out, Aaron Rodgers. The third-string quarterback, Kurt Benkert, is out. You don't think those guys have been around Jordan Love and there's a chance that between now and game day, Love is also out or Love is close contact or whatever. Like there's that it's reported that Love test positive. I think that is something that I would be willing to take this line right now, banking on a Denver Broncos last year situation. Kendall Hinton situation. Kendall Hinton, where everyone, where you got Randall Cobb lining up at QB. That is why I would back the Chiefs in this one. Man, I mean, that's not bad. That's not a bad take. I, I want to... Knowing if you know Devontae Adams and Jordan loves playing, I do think I take the plus seven and a half. If it stays that line and they are active or whatever. Sixty eight percent of the cash this week is on Green Bay. Obviously a lot of that probably happened before Aaron yeah. Rodgers got COVID. But <laughs> um 
I don't know. I, I think I still side with Green Bay if this number stays at 7.5. Now, if you find out Love is out and Devontae Adams is out, this is going to be a hold-your-nose-and-take-it situation and an opportunity for the Chiefs to go positive on the season at 5-4. and four. Mask your face and take it. Wow. Wow. Take off your Aaron Rodgers shirt, <laughs> by the way. What a, what a disrespectful wearing today. Oh, they're covering up with the helmet. Is that a mask on his it. face or is that like 5 o'clock shadow? It should. It's hard to say. All right. Uh, moving, <laughs> moving to Cardinals 49ers. Cardinals 7-1 on the season, going to San Francisco. It's not a cross-country trip, just up to South Santa Clara. Our one-and-a-half-point favorites over the San Francisco 49ers. Thank I, you for clarifying that it wasn't a cross-country trip. I thought it was until you had said that. I say cross-country trip every time. I just want to make sure you know. <laughs> but there, there's a big edge on Arizona at one-and-a-half. I like Arizona a lot at only one-and-a-half-point favorites over the San Francisco 49ers. So... Kyler Murray, a little banged up. It's yeah. the only thing here. He had the foot, or excuse me, not the foot, the, the finger, that's what I meant to say, that he had the bandage on or whatever that maybe affected his accuracy a little bit against the Packers. He's got an ankle now that he suffered on that last tackle from Darnell Savage prior to the interception. Still not going to get me not to bet the Cardinals in this one. I, Yeah, I, I think the 49ers are... They aren't a hapless football team. They're probably a touch better than three and four. They seem like a a five hundred to like a nine and seven in the old whatever. So I guess that's nine and eight nowadays, sort of football team. But the Cardinals are legitimately good offensively. Legitimately too many weapons for the 49ers to shut down. I really like the the Cardinals in this one. Only one. Basically a toss up. No Debo Samuel, no Elijah Mitchell in practice. George Kittle still on the injured reserve. Um, those injuries, are, I think, are a huge impact for the San Francisco 49ers. Are Obviously, they going to have to throw to Brandon Ayuk? They might. They might have to. They might have to throw to Brandon Ayuk. But I like. They'll Ky- sign a guy off the street before he throws to Brandon Ayuk. If Kyler Murray can't play, this line obviously will be affected. And I think he will play. But if he can't play, you know who I believe in? Chris Strebler. Strebler to come in. Or no, it's not. Strebler's third string. Well, I hope Strebler still finds a way. But Colt McCoy, maybe. Maybe Colt McCoy gets in there, too. Nah, I, I think I like the Arizona Cardinals, especially if Kyler Murray does play. Kyler Murray officially listed as questionable with an ankle injury. Mm-hmm. Next on our list, I think we're on a Sunday night, Titans-Rams. Der- no Derrick Henry. This is something we haven't discussed on this show. Derrick Henry, before the injury was announced, the Tennessee Titans were six-and-a-half-point dogs to the Rams. Mm-hmm. Now... With the injury announced, they're seven and a half point dogs. One point, one point move. One point move, but it does cover a key number. We're crossing a yeah. key number, you do cover, you know, cross a higher a percentage of win probability. One yeah, for one running back, yeah. I don't think you're going to see a bigger move ever. Yeah, you'll never see a bigger move than well, that. nowadays. Nowadays, yeah. But Titans, Rams, Rams favored by seven and a half against the Derrick Henry list Tennessee Titans, and I'm leaning Tennessee. Again, like that's kind of been Tennessee's mo all year. They've had a number of lines like this where I'm just like. Tennessee's still a good team. Yeah, you know, Very good. They're 6-2. and two. They still have a sick wide receiver or a one-two punch at wide receiver with a quarterback that can hit them down the football field. Mm-hmm. And it's like that can keep you – that'll keep you in a lot of games Yeah, in, this, in, in the NFL nowadays. Um, so even without Derrick Henry, I, I do worry about Aaron Donald against this interior offensive line. N- Nate Davis is an absolute dog and pony show and pass protection. Is that and, good or bad? And they've had – that's not – I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's, I was meant to, it's to be bad. They, they're just and they've been banged up at a number of positions along their offensive line, just guys dealing with injuries. So I don't think that will end well. Still, seven and a half is a lot. Yeah, we're a good team. So give me Tennessee. 
I like Tennessee too. Six and a half point dogs against Seattle. Man, four percent of the cash on Tennessee right now. Only four? Yeah, that's insane. We're riding with. We're riding with. We're riding with the Nobody, few. <laughs> the few you. the proud right now. But six and a half point dogs against Seattle in Seattle in week two. Not only do they cover, they win. They were six point dogs against Buffalo at home. Not only do they cover, they win. Four point dogs against Kansas City, they win. Three point dogs against Indy, they win. Seven and a half point dogs. I like Tennessee as a big dog without the big dog. Big dog without the big dog? Yeah. I like that. I kind of really like that. I guess big dog is Mercedes Lewis, but I like calling Derek Henry the big dog too. Cool. I like Tennessee. Last one here Bears, Steelers. Steelers favored by six at home. Roethlisberger getting six and a half. Six and a half. Six and a half in some spots. The, G- the green line is liking Justin Fields and the Bears. Where is Matt Renner liking? I'm going Steelers. No, really? They, we've said it, or I've said it. Fields against the Blitz. His Achilles heel, his kryptonite, that has too often this year not recognized, not gotten the ball in his hands, taking bad sacks, taking bad fumbles. What do the Steelers do? Blitz. They, they blitz. They get one-on-ones for their dudes up front. And in this game... I have no faith in the Bears blocking up those dudes on one-on-one situations. So I'd be hard-pressed to see the Bears scoring more than 15 points in this game. And now I'm not saying the Steelers are going to score too many more than 15 points, but when that's ever the case, six points at home, I will take Pittsburgh. I kind of like this game. I kind of like this game a lot, actually, in terms of just watchability. I think really? Theory, it's a six-and-a-half-point yes. line with a 40 total. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's fun because it's – just you got a rookie quarterback that obviously invested in that, and then the Steelers, low key could move to five and three, like really in the hunt, not just for like not just in the AFC North, like five and two is tops AFC right now. So there's an argument that this Steelers team is better than last year's. No, <laughs> no, I like the Bears actually in this one. Only a forty total, okay, six and a half point line. Yeah. I think this one's probably going to get bet towards the Bears, too, as you get closer to the end of the week. I think the Bears cover this one. Like Even Bears, though I, I would like, like... I would put, put the unders and toss them on the under then, too, if you like the Bears. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's the game picks, man. That is game picks. Before we get on to the mailbag and the trivia, Western Southern is a proud sponsor of this show. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help you... I always say that. Help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear more about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both. And every football or financial question asks you, you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collins with podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Smoothing through now. Smoothing through is not a thing. Speeding through the mailbag. We are on to who's first. Remember, if you... Oh, no. I skipped the prospect primer. Oh, yeah. Quick little prospect primer. Let's do it. Go right. fast. All right. You got the game. You got the QB1, QB2 game. Malik Willis versus Matt Corral. The one we've all been waiting for. That's going this weekend. Liberty, Ole Miss, great game there. You have here's a here's one that you might not have been on your radar. Tulsa against Cincinnati. Majay Sanders, edge rusher. We've talked about him a lot. But Tyler Smith 
Attack from Tulsa. May not declare this year. I believe he's a junior, but he is a name to watch down the line. Has the athletic ability. Could be a day two pick. In time, you got Arkansas, Mississippi State, Traylon Burks, our guy, wide receiver. Four on the PFF draft board. Going against Martin Emerson, one of, I believe, top six corner on the PFF draft board, the Mississippi State corner. That's a good one-on-one matchup. And then Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon Edge, Jackson Kirkland, Washington Tackle. I think Kayvon gives him the sauce. Nice. Malik versus Corral is going to be sick. My J. Sanders also is going to be playing game day. Game day is here. Game Game day is coming to Cincy. Yes. I reached out to all everyone. They haven't gotten back to me, but I was trying to hang out. They said uh, new number. Who dis? And yeah, definitely. Who dis? Who dis? No one knows. All right. Uh, on to the mailbag. This is from Brandon Gunn on Twitter. Remember, if you want to get on the mailbag, definitely shoot us a DM on PFF underscore tailgate. Follow that, chant, follow that Twitter account and shoot a DM there. Or leave a review in Apple Podcasts. This is from Brandon Gunn on Twitter. What do you guys think about Grayson McCall, Coastal Carolina quarterback, and where he stands in the 2023 quarterback class? Yeah, so he actually is draft eligible this year. He could come out. I would be floored if he did. And I like putting it as 2023. I think that is when you see him because he needs a lot of physical development. Guy's skinny. I think he was listed at 185 last year. Listed at 210 this year. But that is a water, gallon of water aided 210. He, he does not look 210 in the football field. Arm is very meh strength-wise. I, he does not... I think it's even like below Mac Jones was coming out in terms of just like the zip he puts on the football and that offense could not be less like an NFL offense in my opinion. Like it is about as college and about as just simplistic and oh simplistic is not the right word, but just like it's not gonna be like what he's doing in the NFL. So he's got a lot to prove in that regard. He will definitely be a bowl game invite wherever and whenever he is coming out, which I believe, like I said, twenty twenty three. But, man, he needs to just physically develop a lot, in my opinion. Because even, like, as a runner is one of, like, his strengths, he would get murdered in the NFL as a runner right now just at his size. I, I, I also think coming back, trying to win the Sun Belt again, I mean, go live it up, dude. Grace McCall is not, like, in the conversation right now to be a first-round quarterback prospect. Go back to school. Go live that dream with, um, with Chadwell and, and such at Coastal Carolina. Coastal's a – it's right next to – Myrtle Beach, right? Or like I think so. Or, no, it is. It is yeah. right next to Myrtle Beach. Which is you think not it's on a, the coast? Which is not a bad <laughs> place to be. It is on the coast. Yeah, <laughs> it is on the coast. Quinn, come, the chime-ins from Quinn are just sensational. All right, Dal- Dalton on Twitter. Hey, I saw Austin's tweet. Thanks for that about Sertan and how super duper he is already. I don't know what that. I, did, I didn't tweet super duper. How is super, you say super duper all the time? I do buddy. not say super duper all the time. That's how's, your intro to girls at bars. You say they're like, come how on, are you, how are you doing? They say I'm doing super duper is what you say. I say how are you doing? I hope it's super duper. That's how I open up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how's Everyone it going? Listening. I hope you're doing super duper. <laughs> super duper he is already, especially for a rookie. And was wondering how this season so far compares with rookie seasons of the last class of high pedigree rookie corners. Yeah, how is the question for you? Oh, I, I, I don't know <laughs> if there is a Sertan in this class. Derek Stingley is awesome, and maybe you could you know put Derek Stingley above Sertan, but in terms of like it's going to come in and hit the ground running, Sertan is a unicorn for me. I, don't, I, I mean, some people in that tweet, I remember sending it, it was a while ago, someone said, what do you make of Trayvon Diggs? Trayvon Diggs is in year two and still mm-hmm. giving up a ton of yards every single week. I, I, I don't think there is a Sertan in this class. I think he's that good. Yeah, cornerback is notoriously difficult to hit the ground running he's not as good as let's say you know marshawn Lattimore was coming out year one uh Lattimore was 
about as good as we've seen the PFF era from year one, how well he played. But I think he's close to what we saw from Jalen Ramsey, which was a little inconsistent. But you see the dominant reps where it's like, damn, he just ran that go route for the guy. Like you, you have, he has those on tape. And so like you see the ability to make that year two leap into the stratosphere. But I, I do think some other guys uh, have had better, maybe pure year ones coming out. Cool. This is from Vishnu Cernivas. If you had to make an all-time bus team, not including your mom, for offense and defense, who would be on it? Um, all right. I did went through all these. And I did it because it's, it's okay. It's not an all-time bus team. It's from when I started really following the draft. So it was kind of this century. And this is so – can I clarify? Because I, I didn't know the hype surrounding – Bust. You know, like uh, Tony Mandrich coming out. The, the, the – what was the Sports Illustrated cover? said the incredible bulk or whatever. I didn't – number three overall pick. Went ahead of Barry Sanders, I believe. I, I don't – I didn't know the hype around. Like I didn't – I was three years old, I think, when that happened. Two years old. So I, I don't I don't have anything to compare it to. So before I'll, you get into it, yeah. all right, did you make this team based on if I had to win a Super Bowl with just busts, or did you like these are the biggest busts? These were the biggest busts. Okay, cool. Had to win a Super Bowl. I don't know because like an all time bust team are like you trying to like I'm trying to figure it trying out. To be the best ones, like yeah, the best of the busts. Who ended up? No, this was the worst of the worst. The worst of the, the quarterback busts. is obviously Jamarcus Russell, the bustiest. No more an overall pick. Yeah, you know the least of hands. Uh, Jamarcus Russell, number one pick, two thousand seven awful i almost bought a jersey hard to get hard to get much worse than that trent richardson now this one's tough because the browns still netted a first rounder from so they didn't bust too hard he busted but the cowboys excuse me colts busted out their minds trading for first round pick for the worst round worst running back in the nfl when he was there so that one was bad wide receivers this one was tough had some good ones the the one that was a surefire stone cold lock though charles rogers number two overall pick back in i believe 2003 did I get that right? Yes, 2003. Over Andre Johnson, who was the number three overall pick. You go from one of the worst to Hall of Famer. Yo. Yeah. Bad. But I do, the receiver to receiver is obviously bad. Charles Rogers to Andre Johnson, but also the number two overall pick in 2007 was Megatron. That's another thing, too, with, court, with Jamarcus Russell. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that was his, and Lane Kiffin, there's that story where Lane Kiffin wanted Car- Calvin Johnson, but mm. Al... Davis wanted Jamarcus. That's that I find hilarious. For the other wide receiver position, it's a Bengal. Now, is it John Ross or Peter Warwick? Hard to say. I would probably go John Ross. I can Ross. hear Quinn wanting to chime in. Quinn? Uh, Peter Warwick had a handful of good games, but I guess yeah. John Ross did too. But John Ross is kind of balling right now. He had that really nice catch the other night. Through a DPI. I think for their respective team, John Ross did less for the Bengals than Peter Warwick. Also, Peter Warwick never... Um, got approached about trying to switch to DB. What about AJ yeah. Jenkins? Rookie As a rookie season. Who? Jenkins? Was he a second rounder? He was a 32nd or 31st oh, okay. overall pick. So okay. it's like, I lean towards the higher picks. But That's he fine. was obviously poo. Diddly, did, diddly <laughs> and poo I don't think you could call Darius Hayward Bay a bust. Darius Hayward Bay played in the league for like 12 years. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't include him. I'm just saying, I, I was Great trying blocker. to think of other busts. Okay. Well, he's not on it. So, tight end, Eric Ebron, number 10 overall pick. And now he hasn't been completely washed out of the league awful but he did diddly poo for the detroit lions keep going back to that but yeah he did nothing so tackle positions do you say diddly poo at the bars sometimes uh left tackle jason smith and greg robinson the ram specials number two overall picks i Yikes. believe in 09 i forgot about jason smith 14 respectively 
both were just trash. Luke Jokul can be in that mix, but I, I lean towards the other two because Luke Jokul was in a draft in 2013 when everyone stunk. Like there, there was not a lot of great options. Obviously, they went Luke Jokul over Lane Johnson, which in retrospect, awful. But the Greg Robinson draft, there were a number of good players in that draft. So bad on them. Guard positions. Now, he didn't start off as guard, but Robert Gallery, Oakland Raiders legend. Number two overall pick back in, I believe, was it 2005? Uh, started at tackle. 2004, excuse me. Started at tackle, moves into guard, wasn't good at either. Uh, he stuck around with the Seattle Seahawks. Stuck around, but for the number two overall pick to end up a guard, not be a good one. Tough scene. Then the other guard, Jonathan Cooper, obviously, unfortunately, the Arizona Cardinals top 10 pick uh, back in that awful, I believe, 2013 draft. He broke his leg, didn't really end up playing much. So. It'd be tough to make a team out of the whole 2013 draft. A yeah, lot of bad players honestly. in that draft class. It was not great. Center position, you got Cam Irving, 2015 draft. 19th overall pick uh, has not worked out. They've played him everywhere. He's been bad pretty much everywhere. Um, yeah, that was – Browns have a lot on this list. Defensive side of the ball, we're going to defensive tackle. We're going deep on the defensive tackles. I had to look this guy up because I didn't actually recall his name because he did not play much. Jonathan Sullivan, New Orleans Saints pick, number six overall in 2003. Started only four games after his rookie year. Had five career tackles for loss. Only lasted three seasons for a top, for the sixth overall pick. A defensive tackle, a pick that, like, realistically shouldn't be too difficult to scout. It's like, yeah, are you big and fucking athletic? Yeah. You know, it's like one of those where it's hard to bust too hard. And he did. He did. The other one, I would probably say Tyson Jackson. This was one that no one in their right minds agreed with at the time. When, the, when he went number three overall to the Kansas City Chiefs in 2009. He was a guy I remember like the day before the draft. He was like 32nd on Mel Kuyper's board. And then he, someone obviously caught wind of the Chiefs wanting him because he's like, you know, I heard he could go top five, though. Goes, top, goes number three of the Chiefs and just, I mean, a run-of-the-mill, a like Derek Noddy clone for the Kansas City Chiefs. Just fine, last in the league for a while, but not worth number three overall pick. At edge. Deion Jordan, Vernon Golston, some all-time busts there. Uh, Deion Jordan, number three overall pick in 2013. Again, that vaunted 2013 NFL draft. Uh, Vernon Golston, number six overall pick way back in 2008. Linebackers, Aaron Curry, an all-time buster. That dude uh, only lasted a few years for the Seahawks. I believe came out in 20, uh, 2009. And then Ernie Sims, ninth overall pick for the Lions in 2006. Set PFF records for how low he graded in his career was unbelievable that he hung on for as long as he did. For a full season with Detroit, 991 snaps, he earned a 30.5 overall grade for a full season. That I think I believe that's still the lowest for a guy who like was not a part-time player. Cornerback Justin Gilbert, no explanation really needed there. He was a disaster. 2014. Eighth overall pick, and then D. Milliner. I think the, those were back-to-back years. D. Milliner again, 2013. He was the number nine overall pick. Safety position: Mark Barron, Calvin Pryor, rounding out like that. Hard to find some busts because there aren't a lot of top-drafted safeties. But another jet there in the 2014 draft. I think Calvin that Pryor went 18th overall. That 2013 draft. It was D. Milliner, D.J. Hayden, Desmond Trufant, and 2014. 2013, I thought. 2013 was D. Milner. Oh, yeah, D.J. Hayden. D.J. Hayden, Desmond Trufant, 
And then one other guy who played with the Falcons for a long time. That was Desmond Trufant played for the Falcons. Okay, then who's the other guy? I don't even know. But there were other cornerbacks that were better than D. Milner and D.J. Hayden, like combined, that went like in the second round that were obviously better. Anyway, moving off that 2013 NFL draft, it's trivia season. And mm-hmm. after trivia, I got interviews with Trent McDuffie. Talk about corners. This guy was phenomenal on the mic. He was really sick. Reminded me a lot of Byron Murphy when I interviewed him at Washington. Talked a ton about Jimmy Lake. And then also UTSA coach, dare I say legend, Jeff Trailer, Mike, you need to listen to the trailer interview. This guy is building something insane at yeah. UTSA. He has this triangle of culture pillars. He said Ooh. something. I, I got to go back and listen to it, but the pinky stands for promise, the promise you made for this team. I forget what the ring finger was. The middle finger stands for physical physicality. Index finger stands for selfless because you point at the teammate, and, that's just, and then the thumb is back at me. He, Accountability. It, it was insane. Is he more Gary V or Tony Robbins? On the self-help scale. It's, I, I, he, you know what vibe I got from him was oh. honestly the Fleck vibe. P.J. PJ Fleck. Fleck. P.J. Fleck, who just got yeah, a seven-year contract himself. Yeah. Like he is, I think that he's building something special there. But Trent McDuffie, Jeff, Jeff Trailer, these are phenomenal interviews. Definitely listen to those. But let's get to trivia first. Quinn, do you have the questions? I do have the questions. And just, so Mike was talking about how, with, like with his all-bus team, like try to keep it modern. Uh, we had some listeners submitted questions this year, or this episode, way too hard. Like, let's try to keep these answers reasonable. Let's try to keep it like. If, How smart do you the, think we are here? Yeah, we're, if we're, the answer to the question is a guy that like played in like World War II because everybody else was overseas, like that's not <laughs> that's probably not a good. So let's try let's keep these reasonable is the only ask. Um, but you know that being said, old time players. Uh, number one here, after winning MVP in 2019. Lamar Jackson became the second Cardinal to take home the award after this Hall of Fame quarterback did it twice. Cardinal being Louisville Cardinal? Yeah, yeah Louisville obviously. Cardinal. Yeah. Louisville quarterback? I don't even know. That sounds like um, a oh, Wait, uh, Paul Horning. Negative. I don't even know who went to Louisville. Paul, Paul Horning is from Louisville. But, uh, oh, that's what I was uh, – there's posts he, of him all over Louisville. That's why I said it. I don't even know. He went to – Paul Horning went to Notre Dame, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I'm an idiot. Um, and he wasn't even a quarterback. I just remember all those pictures of him all over Louisville. Yeah, uh, Paul's Town or whatever they say. Hall of Fame quarterback from Louisville, dude. I'm not. A, I'm not an NFL historian. This is not my. Two- so I, I bashed about like you know history, but I feel like this, this is there's a statue of him outside of the stadium. Maybe it's because uh, I'm Johnny U. Yeah, it's Johnny U. Okay, Johnny Unitas. Good get. All right, you guys ready for number two? Yeah. Baltimore Colts legend. Baltimore Colts legend. Yep. Clemson is unranked for the first time since 2014. However, they still had two first-round picks in the 2015 draft. Who were they? Vic Beasley. Yep. Was one. And the other one was – should have been Grady Jarrett. Wasn't. Um, oh, the – or no, was he a second-rounder? D-line uh, – Shaq Lawson. Nope, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Don't – it was – oh, man. Say the question again. Two first-rounders in 2015 from Clemson. Who were they? Um – wasn't Dexter Lawrence, was it? No, it was too, too nah. earlier. That was Dexter like two Lawrence. years ago. Yeah. I'm an idiot. I'm going to get this. got to get this. Defense. I know. Oh, defense. Ooh, was it the linebacker? Oh, I know. Yes. Uh, Stephon Steph Anthony. Anthony. Yep, you got it. Nailed it. There it is. Way to stay with it. To the it. Saints at 30, yep. right? 32. Saints at 31st overall. Wow. Yeah. That was a deep cut. I thought he was going to be good. I like Stephon Anthony. I did too. Maybe he'll make the next uh, all-bus team. Mm. Since 2000, only two Power 5 schools haven't had first-round picks. Who are they? Oh, my gosh. That is a freaking deep – Syracuse one? 
I don't know. Uh, Throwing out a bad bad uh, Power 5 team. Tom McNabb was a first-round pick. Fair, fair, fair. He was before 2009. He was 99. Oh, yeah. Um, Two Power 5 schools. I'll go... Vandy? No. Jay Cutler, bro. Arizona. Uh, No. Damn it. I'm trying to think of who would... Really bad Power 5 teams. Um, Arizona's been bad. Duke. Nope. Daniel Johnson. That was terrible. Okay, that was. Uh... I want to Midwest. I would like Midwest. They're in, the, they're in the Midwest. They're both in the Midwest. Indiana. Yes. Nice. Indiana. Well done. They're both in the Midwest. Indiana. Mm-hmm. Kentucky. No. Josh Allen. Uh, oh come on, Michael. It's tough. I'll get it. I'll get it. It's not. They're not like a. Uh, they're not a bad program. Like specifically this year. What what conference? I mean, do you really want me give to give it away? away? Big Twelve. Oh, Oklahoma! Uh, no, <laughs> Kansas! No, no, Iowa State! Iowa State! Wow! Well done. Here we go. Yep, that's that was it. a botchery of a question. Like all that. right, uh, my question was: all right. What company? Remember the last week where we did the video games questions, and they were like exactly the same. That was insane. Yeah, that was. That was right, this one is: What was my first paid internship? Ooh, first paid internship. Do you give was it high school or was it college? College, college, college. A lot of unpaid though. Um, you were was it football coach? Football coaching? No, I didn't. Well, that wasn't paid. Oh shit! Um, so that student newspaper doing? No, I don't know. What was it? Fox Sports San Diego. Fox Sports San Diego. Let's go! This shirt, vintage. Fox Sports San Diego no longer exists. It converted to Fox Sports West with LA. So I'm wearing like it's an probably NFT. Probably Valley West. Yeah, now. I'm like wearing like an NFT or something. Is this an NFT? Get to the camera. Is this an NFT? Like uh, I mean, I could take that. I could snap that still image and sell it. Fox Sports San Diego, one of one NFT. You have to pay people to look at it. Um, <laughs> all right. Mine was, I went to Notre Dame. Love that I went to Notre Dame. But it wasn't my number one school coming out of high school. Where would I have gone if I would have gotten off the wait list? It's my number one choice of school. Wisconsin. No. Really? Um, I don't think I can get into Wisconsin. I don't know. What are you trying to say? Um... Wait list. Where was Northwestern? No. Nope. Um, I'm sure it was Midwest. It was not Midwest. West Coast? East Coast. UMass. <laughs> that uh, was the big MIT? Yes, I went to MIT. I would have gone to MIT. I was gonna play baseball at MIT, but I didn't. You're gonna play baseball at MIT. Yeah. How have we not talked about this? I don't know. That's insane. What position? I was play I was gonna pitch. Wow. Did yeah. you pitch in high school? Yeah. And you I did but you did like pitch at Notre Dame. No, thank you for that. Thank you for reminding me. I tried. <laughs> so you weren't going to make that team anyway? Oh, I was. Waitlisted. Yeah, I, was. <laughs> I was. Sadly, never got off. I cried when I didn't get off. That's incredible. I was a little bitch back then. Oh, wow. Still are. All right. Until next time. Let's No, not until next time. Let's get to these interviews. We've got Jeff Trailer and Trent McDuffie. Let's run it. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current UTSA head coach Jeff Trailer. A Tex- you're, you're becoming a Texas legend. Coach, I, mean, I think it's been fantastic to see the success you've had at UTSA. And honestly, you know, there was a video that came out today when you were announced that you were going to be at UTSA for the next 10 years into 2031. What was you know, your initial reaction to that announcement? Obviously, the players are so excited to have you there at UTSA. I guess describe the feelings that you were going through then and how excited you are to be you know, obviously ingrained into the future there at UTSA. Dr. Compos, uh, my athletic director, she kind of got on to me because I didn't have our our media team in there to film it. And uh, I was like, well, I'm not sure I want to film it. I'm afraid they might do that, man, right? So I was really, 
I was really excited. They were that happy, and that's why you do what you do. And those kids are the reason I had this opportunity. You know, I've been coaching for 32 years, and you know, from and all my stops, uh, all of our players are the reason you get in these kind of chairs. I think it's uh, it's awesome to see the support that you have from both, obviously, the program there at UTSA and also the players. What do you feel has been, you know, some of your marquee changes in the culture there at UTSA that has led to the success that you guys had? Obviously, it's a compilation of a lot of different things, but I think what's been the most impressive is just how much you know the players have bought into what you're doing there. Now, obviously, you know, a top twenty team in the country, you're seeing the results of it. I couldn't agree more. You know. Our- our hashtag 210 triangle of toughness culture. We're very proud of that. Uh, we want that to be not just words on a wall, but words on our hearts. And you know, we vote for all of our single digit guys. If they wear a single digit, that means they epitomize our culture pillars the best. Uh, if you wear the two, the one, and the zero, you got the most votes uh, of the single digit guys. So those are our leaders. Those are our so-called captains, our leadership council. Uh, they, they hold our team accountable. Uh, they're the reason we're successful. So if you see a single-digit guy on our field for the Roadrunners, you know they're supposed to epitomize you know, our brand uh, the best. That that's an awesome like culture building. I think you know tradition, something to start at UTSA. Something I want to focus on too is that you have had a lot of success. You know, you said you're coaching for thirty plus years. A lot of success as a Texas high school coach in the late '80s, early '90s, and then also a lot of it has been offensive minded roles at Texas special teams tight end and SMU coaching running backs. But this UTA, UTSA defense has been phenomenal, top ten in the country and EPA per play allowed. Also number one in Conference USA. Speak to the success that UTSA has had on that side of the ball, even though obviously you've had your hand in with Frank Harris and the offensive side of the ball as well. Well, you, you brought up something that's very important. It's the Texas High School Coaches Association. You know, I have seven Texas high school football coaches on my staff. Uh, we, we were cut our teeth on how to coach with that association. So those guys have been tremendous friends of mine for years. They're very loyal. Uh, they know how we're going to coach their kids. So, obviously, that helps us with recruiting. Uh, to your answer your question about our defense being physical, that's part of our triangle of toughness. We want to have the most physical defense on the football field. Offensively, second part of that triangle, we want to be a physical football team. We run the ball. The third part of that triangle is obviously our special teams. Our best players play out there, and we want those guys to be physical. It just so happens our culture pillar of the week is physical toughness. You know, last week it was mental toughness. So, we go through a culture pillar each week. And uh, we just keep rinsing and repeating. And if you were to talk to our kids, they could literally articulate every one of our culture pillars, uh, what finger we represent that with. You know, integrity is the pinky promise, passion's the ring finger, mental and physical toughness is our middle finger, uh, index finger. We pointed our teammates for selfless, thumb, ourselves. We're going to always get perfect effort, wad them up, pound the fist trust the process, win the day. So we go through those one a week, and our kids uh, can talk it as well as I can. That is absolutely phenomenal. I love that physical toughness is the middle finger. I think that's a perfect representation of that. Is that so <laughs> – <laughs> Physical toughness. I, I love that, man. That, is that something that you've taken from your high school coaching days or that you had at Arkansas? Where, where did that origi- uh, originate? You know, when you are a high school coach, uh, 
all the college guys want your players, right? Well, I was in the same high school for 15 years. So all those guys came through our school and they would let us come watch them and study them. So I've never had an original idea in my entire life. I think I've stolen every <laughs> idea from someone. I think, I think I would say the same thing myself. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a copycat league out there. It's definitely a copycat league. That's, uh, that's phenomenal. So why, why physical toughness this week? Is that was what was in the rotation or is that, you know, you know, principal on your opponent? Gotcha. Very cool. Awesome. So it goes, we just go in order. We, we start mm-hmm. with our, our pinky promise and work our way through every single time. And that's just where we are right now. Someone who's obviously not just buying into that culture, but also playing at, at such a high level this year. Frank Harris, UTSA quarterback, an 84.5 PFF grade this year, has been phenomenal in a lot of ways. He's limiting turnovers. That has been something that I've found really special about his tape. I guess speak to Frank and the success that he's had at UTSA and also the development he's honestly had over the course of the season. Oh, just phenomenal, his improvement. I mean, it's, it's amazing, but it doesn't surprise me. He's voted in that zero for a reason. I mean, him and Rashad Wisdom are in the zero. They're both San Antonio kids. You know, Frank played at Clemens, and Rashad played at uh, Converse Judson. So we're very proud of that. That's part of our 210, you know, triangle of toughness. So he's the epitome of our culture. He's selfless. He works his tail off every day. He's just so grateful. You know, he's been mm-hmm. injured most of his career. Uh, he takes the field. He's the first one on the field, and he prays every day. And when he leaves the field, he prays every day. He is the epitome. Anybody can coach Frank Harris. I'm just lucky to be his coach. That, that that's phenomenal. I think those you know, the, it sounds like the kid, especially you know, wearing the zero with the honor that's tied to it. Sounds like one of those kids where you wish you had fifty of them. You know, you wish you had fifty Frank Harris's on the team. I think that's that's been just obviously a standout performer for them. And you also have some really talented receivers too. Corian Clark and Zachary Franklin have been kind of really successful so far this season. They're also grading super well as well. This offense, I know I spoke to the defense, but this offense is number two in the Conference USA in EPA per play. Both sides of the ball really, you know moving forward in a really good way. Now, to focus on this next half of the season, what are some of the goals that you have? I know it's win every day, it's win every week, but are there goals that you're speaking to your players right now to close out this year? And you also didn't mention Josh Cephas. Uh, number mm-hmm. two is a very good wide receiver as well, so we feel really good about all three of those kids. Um, but, yeah, we also we play team football. Uh, we don't get into staff whatsoever. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we really play a great – job a mixture of team ball you know we went out and scored over 50 points against western kentucky and we'll score in the 20s or the 30s and run the ball so uh when you have really good players that buy into your culture Mm -hmm. they'll do whatever it takes to win but to answer your question what we got to do these last four games you know today's november the first right it's a november to remember uh and that's huge for us so that triangle of toughness i keep we it's got to show up right now we got to be fresh we got to have some fun we got to be physical and all those things are what that is. So that's all we've been talking about. As we've shortened practice, we've gotten back to fundamentals. Full pads all last week during uh, the bye week. Full pads mm-hmm. last night where most guys are taking them off. My guys love football, and they're putting them back on. So they're just a great group of coaches. It's those single-digit guys. Yeah, They're the ones. They just love football. And I'm just lucky enough to be their coach. That's that's phenomenal. I think keeping the pads on, keep especially when when you're when it's toughness. I think keeping the pads on, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think something that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do feel you know meeting you know rising above maybe what other people you know with national expectations, getting the 16th in the country, you even securing the 10 year deal at UTSA. I think it di- sometimes it can be difficult for a program that is obviously surging in such a positive direction to 
block out some of the noise, to not get too high on your horse and not look at some of the national attention that UTS is getting, how do you approach that as a coach, that challenge of like, hey, this isn't good enough. We have bigger goals than this. Don't settle because of our improvement. Continue to kind of improve every single week. Yeah, something we talk about a lot. As the expectations rise, the culture's got to match it, right? Yep. So we just got to be better at that kind of stuff. You know, our culture pillars, our, our single-digit guys, have got to hold them more accountable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, our super singers that we brought back, they know that was part of the deal. We were picked last, last year, dead last. We had no kids on the preseason all-conference team. And, you know, we ended up going to a bowl and uh, almost won the bowl against Louisiana Lafayette, who's a very good team. And uh, this year we had everybody back. So we knew we'd be picked. We were picked, you know, second by some, third by some. So, we, you know, we're, we're picked higher in the conference. And we had a lot of kids. We ended up having 19 kids make all-conference last year. We had zero predicted. So all those kids are returning. So common sense would tell you we're going to have a lot more expectations on us. We're just trying to be better in our culture. We really mm-hmm. are. We're trying to be better locker room uh, teammates. We're trying to take care of each other, selfless, just, just those culture pillars. Just live them. Coach, I don't think it could happen to a better person. Congratulations on the 10-year contract. And I honestly think that UTSA is going to be getting more and more national attention. So you continue to keep that culture, that arc up and meeting that. I think it's going to be phenomenal to watch over the course of your uh, tenure there at UTSA. Really appreciate you jumping on, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you for your time, man. Appreciate it. God bless. Birds up. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Washington cornerback Trent McDuffie. Trent, we've been looking to get you on this show for a while now. Big fan of your game. You've consistently been a player that's graded well in PFF system and really have improved every single year of your career at Washington. The fact that we got you on this year, we're excited to see it. Thanks for joining the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. Where I'd love to start, I know you're an Orange County kid. I'm, a, I'm from California. Love hyping that up. A big, big Cali guy. Okay. So you go, you're, you're at St. Uh, John Bosco getting recruited by a handful of, you know, Power Five Blue Blood programs and on the West Coast, Stanford in consideration. You end up going to Washington and get playing time right away. How much did that factor into your decision to go up to UW? And I guess walk me through that recruiting process and all was going through your head. Yeah. I mean, coming to UW, I was never really, the type to be like, oh, I want to play early on. You know, it was more just of a learning experience. And I know at UW, there were so many great DBs who came through here. Buda Baker, Byron Murphy, Kevin King, Sidney Jones. And it was kind of just like this, I call it the DB pedigree of the West Coast. And I'm a California guy, so, you know, I want to stay as close to Kelly as I could. So taking a trip up north and kind of just fell in love with Seattle, kind of reminded me a little bit of L.A. And then met Coach Lake, which I know a lot of people – soon begin to know who's just an awesome dude, an awesome coach, and just kind of fit me in here. And just I knew a lot of guys from high school who've been here. So it was kind of just home away from home for me in a sense. I know this is going to be the Trent McDuffie show, but I got to focus a lot of the conversation on Jimmy. I am a huge fan of what he's done at the University of Washington for the years that he's been there. And you mentioned some of the guys he's coached, Kevin King, Buda Baker, Marcus Peters, um, Byron Murphy, who's been on this podcast as well, who is another phenomenal cerebral player. What what makes him different? You know, I hate to make it such a normal or kind of like vague question, but Lake is different. You know, Lake does bring DBU to or DB pedigree, whatever you mentioned, to Washington. I guess what's the secret? What's the secret sauce of Jimmy Lake? Yeah, I'll say this. It's the details, but on top of that, he's a perfectionist. 
and he is going to make sure that every detail, every step, every footwork, every technique, how we read the field, our eyes, everything that just makes you become a great DB is what Coach Lake focuses on and harps on consistently on a daily basis. So, I mean, just being the program is kind of all we know is just the things he teaches us. And it's kind of just over a period of years, you know, it kind of plays out, as you can see, with everybody who has been a DB at UW. It's kind of just the standard here now, and that's a huge part of Coach Lake. And to add you know, further detail to that, where do you feel those details show up? Is that in the film room, or is that in a lot of individual drills and practice, or is it everywhere? I guess speak to the different areas uh, in the offseason and in season where Lake is kind of you know, honing in his craft or, or working on you guys. Yeah, I mean, as I always say, if you're not seeing Coach Lake outside of the stadium, he's in his office watching tape. <laughs> that's all the dude does is watch tape so I mean you want to talk about the greatest teacher you can for a DB that's the dude and I mean off season in season no matter what it is film 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 it's almost like that's that's our TV for us it's just watching film and then we go to practice and just every day we call it our EDDs the same drills that all play out into the uh during the game is kind of just the biggest thing that he does is just putting us through kind of a system of just working through things that are going to actually show up during games, real life situations that make it so helpful. Mm -hmm. And and how much would you say, you know, I talked to a lot of prospects and players in college that say the biggest thing that's changed for them over their years is their understanding of the game. Would you say that's a big component of you or where would you say you've developed the most in the three years you've been at Washington? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think, playing time is just the biggest thing you can as a college football player, just understanding the tempo, understanding how to read certain things, seeing things over and over again throughout reps. It's kind of just the biggest thing that I've gotten out of my college experience. And since I played as a freshman is just seeing certain routes, certain formations, certain keys that I've seen back in the past that just instantly just, I know is going to happen just because I've played so long now. And just again, with coach Lake in the film room has been, the biggest thing to me because we're not just watching college football. We're watching guys in the NFL. We're watching Stephon Gilmore, Jalen Ramsey, how they mm-hmm. do the techniques and kind of implementing it into my game, which has helped my game just elevate even more. And I feel that, you know, that film study, that IQ, you know, what you've done to study the game and your technique as well is such a big reason why you've been able to have the success that you've had at Washington, despite being, you know, a little bit on the smaller side, five foot, well, listen at five foot 11, 195. And that, that, in, 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 in my opinion, talking to guys that maybe have, you know, size limitations or whatever it may be, you often have to find that edge elsewhere. Where would you say, is that the film room for you? Is that the weight room for you? Where are you finding that edge that kind of helps you set apart? Honestly, I think it's just my warrior mentality. I do not take it down off no matter what it is. The play can be away from me. I cannot get the ball thrown in my way the whole game, but I'm always going to make some shake. And no matter what it is, I'm going to make sure that I show up on tape because I'm that guy who is going to do 110% to help my team win at all mm-hmm. costs. And I think that is something that it's just my edge being that undersized player who kind of, has to go through different things and measurables and things like that. It's more of just a confidence thing. You know, I'm confident at all times throughout the day, and that's just how I want to live my life because, you know, I am putting in a disadvantage in the eyes of other people. But we're on that field. Everybody has pads on. Everybody has a helmet on, and we're all the same. So, And I'd argue that's kind of another, you know, commonality in 
late coach defensive backs, guys that come out with a ton of confidence. You look at Byron Murphy, Buda Baker, guys that have, like, when they enter the NFL, look at Byron Murphy this year. I'm not sure how much you followed him this year, but he has been insane. And a lot of it is playing with next-level confidence. Elijah Molden, another guy that was graded so well in PFF's system and is already off on a tear with the Tennessee Titans. What was your relationship like with Molden since he's kind of one of the more recent guys? Yeah, no, I... Molden is my guy. That was someone who kind of put me on to this game and honestly just helped me learn how to navigate through this college football experience, especially coming from last year with COVID and things were shaky and not knowing. He was that dude that was just consistently doing what needed to be done, you know. Mm-hmm. Having a guy like that in the locker room and seeing someone who's just always doing what he has to do no matter what is something that I took as a huge step in what I can do just in my daily life to help me in my game because you can see it. It all plays out on the field, and, I mean, he's even doing it in the NFL now, so – yeah, such a cerebral player, too. I think I had, I talked to him in the pre-draft process as well. Another corner at Washington still there, Kyler Gordon, a guy that's also grading well, having a ton of success. Describe your relationship on and off the field with Kyler. Yeah, that is my dog. I love Kyler to death. You know, that is going to be someone that down the road, he's I'm always going to have his back. And I think over the years, our relationship grew a lot because coming in, you know, as a freshman, he was older. It was not really, but now they're on the field the same and, off the field, we're always talking about what we see on the field and just talking about families, and I got to meet his and just learning about him and his life because he's from Washington, so I never really knew him. And, I mean, he's just such a great dude, a freak athlete, I think the most athletic person I've ever met in my life, and just an all-around amazing person. I love Kyle Gotcha. Yeah. Let's focus a little bit now on yourself and some of the previous seasons. What I wanted to say, you know, having so much playing time in the Pac-12 – who are some of the guys that you've gone against in your career that have given you the best challenge or guys that you kind of, when you look back on the guys you faced off against, who comes to mind as one of those best competitors or those guys that you really went toe-to-toe with in your career? Yeah, no doubt. I think two guys that I just name off my head is uh, Chenault from Colorado for my freshman year. Just one of those dudes who's just so dynamic and just when the ball was in his hands, it was always a threat, which was some one of our key points when we played him. And, I mean, he was strong, he was aggressive, and he really went up and grabbed the ball. And that was my first, like, welcome to college moment. He mm-hmm. caught it over me on a touch, and I was like, okay, I understand now what I have to do in college. And then another guy, which I've got learned to know over the years, is uh, Michael Wilson from Stanford, who's just one of those players that just brings energy no matter what it is. I, my friends always like to say here is that even if there's a runaway, you know, that he is coming to block you every single play, no matter how many plays it is. And that's something that you can really respect because not a lot of receivers like to block and not a lot of receivers like to give full out energy. But you know when he's on the field, you always got to look out for him. That's fantastic. A couple more questions for you, and then I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time. I want to ask you about your personal goals as you guys close out the season. Obviously a monster game against one of the best teams in the country in Oregon at at home in Seattle this week, and then you close out the season with three more games. What is top of your mind or top of your list in terms of accomplishments you want to have as you close out the year? Right. I mean, obviously, we're trying to get to that bowl game, the best bowl game we can get to. Definitely still trying to fight out for that Pac-12 North champ so we can go to that Pac-12 championship because at the end of the day, that is our goal always. And that is something that you kind of see the guys start to believe in as our confidence is starting to grow and their energy start to grow. And I think for me personally, I think it's just finishing out this year with a sense of 
knowing who I am as a leader. I think this year was a big part of coming out of my shell. I was never that boisterous guy. I was always just the one who kind of led by example, but just taking this role now this year as leader of the defense and now becoming a captain of the team and just having to step out of my comfort zone and do different things that I'm not used to in my everyday schedule is something that I'm really taking upon myself to just continue throughout the season, no matter how it goes, good or bad, is just making sure that I myself am doing what I told myself I would do at the beginning of the season. Fantastic stuff, Trent. Really appreciate you setting aside the time to jump on the show, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Of course. Thank you so much. You're right here. MIT grad, or what could have been MIT grad, Wanna Mike be. Renner, Austin Gale. This is the Tailgate episode, the Thursday episode. Uh, appreciate everyone. Definitely appreciate the uh, producers, David Tafaro, Stone Rochelle, Max Chadwick, and Mike Quinn. Until next time, Mike Renner, Austin Gale. I pointed the wrong way. Tailgate. Tailgate.